When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time to take a ride on the Steelers afternoon drive with our co-hosts, Alan Saunders and Zachary Smith. It's every time. Welcome into another episode of Steelers Afternoon Drive. I'm Zachary Smith. That is Alan Saunders. Alan, three days in a row with guests back on the podcast. We, we're doing it. We're ending this, this week with a bang. Alex Kirshner joining the show. Alex, what's going on? Zach, Alan, great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. You know what? Let's not waste time, Alan. Let, let's get right into this. We're not going to waste anybody's time. We've talked a lot about quarterbacks this week. We're going to kind of continue that conversation today. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait. I got to waste. I got to waste some time. Hold on. I just wanted to point out that we have a tendency on this podcast to not get to the topic until like, oh, I don't know, like three to five minutes. Three, in. Sort of like, yeah. I was watching uh, Patrick Peterson and Brian McFadden in their podcast on, I guess it was wednesday night or thursday night it was, it was the last night thursday last night. thursday night yeah it took them like a full 15 minutes to get to mm-hmm. the sub so i don't feel so bad about being like two three minutes in anymore before we no, get to they, the- like bmac left the set to go get a, uh, like a shot and like yeah that was yeah may still so, that idea i mean just me uh congratulations by the way on your uh milestone uh yeah 300 days hard um yeah but uh anyway i just I, I no longer feel bad about two minutes i just need to to make that point yeah absolutely um we had an interesting conversation with doug whaley yesterday uh obviously going back to when we had Derek on a couple days ago and it, i feel like the conversations are all kind of tying together but alex uh we've talked a lot about quarterbacks this week and you know their approach and free agency month, in the draft it's the entirety of the last five years <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's all true. Um, but specifically this week, uh, the conversations that we've had with free agency and the draft being part of the conversation, because it, it certainly doesn't seem like the Steelers are going to be all that aggressive with the quarterback position, or at least that seems to be like, okay, Justin Fields move is maybe out there, but you know, Alan and I don't really think that that's going to happen. So say that that doesn't take place and they go into next season with Kenny Pickett as QB one. Sure. They may be bringing in a different veteran as opposed to Mason Rudolph to be the backup. There could be some shakeup in the QB room, but what could free agency in the draft look like can it still be a success without some major move at the quarterback position what does that change in terms of free agency in the draft plans and i'd love to get your take on that because if kenny pickett is still qb1 how differently can this team look in 2024 probably not that much differently i mean the defense could be a little bit better uh in ways that go beyond the occasional strip sack which was which was really what they were good for in 2023 but I do think that having Kenny Pickett as your quarterback is kind of a governor on how fast the golf cart can go. And 
I'm I, I'm maybe not all the way to like absolutely must give up, but I'm pretty close. Mm. Um, I mean, it was a level right. of bad last year that was would make it a hell of a comeback story if he were to become a playable NFL quarterback for a team that has aspirations of anything more than ten and seven and get killed on wild card weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. Can the season be? Can the offseason be a success if they don't do something splashier than that? Uh, almost depends to me on what your horizon is that you're looking out over. I mean, for 2023, probably not. Uh, or excuse me, for 2024, probably not. Uh, you know, I, you guys could tell me if you think there's a possibility of, of contending in that division or winning a playoff game with, with Kenny at quarterback or whoever at quarterback that might be available to them without making a splashier move. I don't think mm-hmm. it's very likely. Um, but if you see it as a long game and you think, all right, you know, give us one more year to get kind of our ducks in a row – uh, and maybe we like something that might be available to us in 2024 going into 25, uh, then sure. Um, however, I, I don't think we're we're not a very patient species, nor are we very patient um, as Pittsburghers. So I, yeah, it, it's I'm hard pressed. I'm hard pressed. The arrow could be pointing funny. up to the rest of the roster, despite the quarterback position. Yeah, yeah the arrow yeah. could be pointing up. Yeah, I think it's funny. We are not patient as a species or as a Pittsburgher, despite the Steelers essentially being the most patient franchise in professional sports and, oh, I don't know, being pretty darn good uh, for a long time because of that. I feel like it's a lesson that um, we have not learned from the team that we follow. Like, they they are very patient. I do think they're playing a long game here. I don't I don't see I, – I, I see Kenny Pickett being – like, I, I put a poll on, on Twitter today. It said, like, who do you think is going to be the Steelers starting quarterback in 2024? And, like – 77% of the people said Kenny Pickett. It seems like this is this is what people are understanding, that this is the plan that Kenny Pickett's going to start. And I don't think it's like because they are sure that Kenny Pickett is going to be great. I think it's because, just like Alex said, there's this idea that you can fix a lot of stuff and then maybe you get the quarterback at the end of the process. Uh, and also, I do think there's a, a part of some thought process. It's like, hey, Man, we know that Matt Canada wasn't very good. Uh, we like what Arthur Smith did with not that great a quarterback play in Tennessee. Maybe it works out. We know that Dan Moore's not going to work out. Like we know that like Mason Cole is not the long term answer. We know that Cam Hayward's not going to get younger, and Patrick Peterson's not going to get younger. And those are places that we have to spend big resources in to upgrade quarterback. Like it probably is not going to work out, but hey, maybe it does. I want to know, Alex, what do you think? Okay, if they don't do anything at quarterback other than sign Ryan Tannehill, where do you think their priorities should lie outside of that for the rest of the offseason, if that's if that's the plan? Uh, just from, from my perspective as, you know, a fan of the team and sort of a, a moonlighting NFL writer, uh, I think the secondary seems seems pretty acute. Uh, obviously, they haven't solved inside linebacker in any, like, long-term way uh, since that horrible night in Cincinnati five, six, seven years ago now. Uh, so I'd probably look there. Uh, I think that I think that it would be helpful to have, aside from Joey Porter Jr. And and, and, and speaking of not getting any younger, and not getting any younger Minka Fitzpatrick, who is probably towards the tail end of his prime, if we're being realistic about the way that these things go for NFL safeties, I think an infusion of some talent uh, in that part of the defense would be a pretty good idea. 
like I'm speaking to short-haired Nick Farabaugh, who has done nothing for two years but talk about how slow the Steelers' secondary is. It's spreading. Uh, hey, when I seriously, when I brought it up to him uh, when we were talking about free agent needs, like he literally mentioned everything. He was like, defensive backs, literally everybody besides Joey Porter Jr. and Minka Fitzpatrick need replaced. They're all too slow. <laughs> it's not wrong. Like it. Yeah, it's definitely an area. I've been harping on the offensive line. I feel like that's what they're going to do. Um, I could be wrong. But uh, I love this tackle class. Uh, I think it's a good class at corner, too. Alex, you have uh, a unique perspective because, like you said, you dabble in the NFL, uh, but your big thing is college football. How often when you're watching college football or breaking down college football or doing your job regards to college football, are you watching a guy and be like, oh, man, wish that, he was a Steeler. It's like, the meme. This, it's the meme. This is what I got to have. Like, the, the, yeah. this one, like how, how often does that happen for you? I mean, reasonably often, and and I have uh, one or two guys in this year's class who I think should be Steelers. Uh, Cooper DeGene, you wouldn't even have to really Photoshop the uniform. I mean, just just the helmet, and yeah, you know, pretend it's that '70s look. Uh, I think would be a tremendous fit. Uh, but yeah, every year I think when you're when you cover college football, you attach yourself to a player or two or three who you realize or who you who you get the impression. Um, it's just going to be like an absolute star. Uh, I think for me, DeGene is primed to be, I think, kind of underdrafted. Like, I think I'd consider him well inside the top 10, like well inside the top 10 because of the importance of good nickel play in the NFL today. Uh, so I think he's going to be gone by the time the Steelers would have a chance to get him. Um, but as I go through the list, I think Roma Dunze is one of my favorite college wide receivers in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, and I think should have won the Boletnikoff over Marvin Harrison Jr. last year. I think the difference between those two players is not significant. Um, I think I think Marvin probably is the best prospect. Um, you know, there's – I said two or three, and I, I just named two. There are probably four or five more uh, who I think the Steelers would Keep be going. very, very well-suited uh, to put on their roster this year. And I, I agree with you that the tackle class is, like, compelling, um, given that the Steelers definitely don't – given that the Steelers have a maximum of one – serious tackle prospect on their roster right now uh i think that there are options in that neck of the draft as well yeah for sure i think i think the tackles are as like there are as many first round tackles as i can remember like there's like Mm -hmm. could be like seven guys um it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting class um it, it always has interested me how like college football Twitter and analysts and and journalists are all talking about the same sport as like NFL draft analysts and journalists are for most of the year, but have like vastly different takes on guys. As someone that kind of bridges that gap, who's somebody that you look at like their draft stock and then you look at their like college, what, what you know of their college experience and you just are left scratching your head. I feel like this happens for me all the time. Yeah, it, it does happen reasonably often. I think the classic example of this would be Josh Allen back in 2017 or 18 when he was coming out of Wyoming. And and the NFL guys were right. I mean, he really did become something that had never happened before, which was a player who drastically increased his production going from college ranks, the Mountain West even, um, to playing in the AFC East. And so ever since that time, I've tried to be a little bit more humble about dismissing things dismissing players out of hand uh with that said 
I think I do like the tackle class a lot, but every time I watched Alabama, I thought J.C. Latham was getting pushed around way too much for a guy who is considered a guarantee to be a top 15, top 20 pick in the NFL draft. Um, if you watch and the, the size of an end, apartment building. Yeah, he's a big guy. And you watch the end of the Rose Bowl against Michigan, and I think that showed up in spades, including on uh, the doomed keeper that Jalen Milrow ran on the last play of that mm. game in overtime. Uh, but also not not to be chained to that one play. I mean, you know, I think this was something that was a, a bit recurring. Uh, maybe as Mike Tomlin says, if you know, if you can coach, if you're talking about anything other than uh, than hand usage or something, or, or other than pedigree, excuse me, then that's coaching. Maybe you can coach him up, uh, and he becomes a tremendous NFL tackle. Uh, in terms of the skill position guys, I would say that Drake May is sort of along the line that we're talking about, uh, in that he didn't have like an absolutely stunning, sparkling career at North Carolina. But I will say that, that in this case, I, I think I get it with Drake May, and I think I understand why someone might even prefer him to Caleb Williams, just given the kind of make-it-up-as-you-go variety of, of the way that Caleb Williams dominated at USC and how difficult that can be to pull off in the NFL. Yeah, I actually I, – I do think I prefer May to Williams for that reason. I think he can play in structure better, and I think more teams are going to want that. Um, I am a bit like, – like one of those players for me was Daniel Jones, and, and, and before that, Mitch Trubisky uh, – there you go, QB one. That's a that's a that's a thumbnail for a YouTube video that I'm working on for my personal channel. So there you go, there you go. That goes to show you where uh, I'm at with it. Smitty, we've got some breaking news uh, that we oh, need we to do. get to. <clears throat> Just happened. The Steelers have released center Mason Cole. Okay, all right. I, hey, I thought he would stick around as the. the I mean, that tells you they're doing something at center. Now, is it going to be a double dip? Are they going to bring in a veteran in free agency? I think it almost has to one? be right, unless yeah. it's unless it's James Daniels. But then they just need a guard. I, I think somewhere you got to bring somebody in. I'm really surprised that they did it now. I'm not surprised yeah. that he's being released, but um, saves them uh, almost five million in cap space. Uh, I wrote uh, after the Rams cut Brian Allen earlier this week that that's like a perfect opportunity for the Steelers to cut Mason Cole, sign Brian Allen for like the vet minimum because he's been hurt like three out of the five years he's been in the NFL and yeah. get your guy to hold the seat open for a rookie for a little bit cheaper. Uh, I wrote that with the full intention that I would suggest this and the Steelers would not do it uh, just yeah. <laughs> because that's the way things usually go. little surprise that it happened. Alex, we got live reaction, which is what YouTube loves. So the numbers for this video just yeah. I just literally went through the roof yep. as congratulations to us. Yep. What what do you uh what what are your take on the Steelers cutting Mason Cole? How many mediocre centers have the Steelers had outside of, like I feel like it's like you got Jeff Hardings and you got Marquise Pouncey, and that covered a lot of years, but it's not it's like the Steelers have never had an okay center. Like, it's been a French <laughs> Hall of Fame type guy for my entire waking existence. I mean, going back to, I mean, well well before my existence, I wasn't alive in the Mike Webster days. But it feels like the Steelers Well, that right Mansfield was really good, right. too. It's I mean, back to, like, the 50s. Like, the Steelers either have, like, one of the better centers who has ever played football or just total trash at that position at all times. And I think it would be nice to have just a league average respectable center who will send the ball back to the quarterback at the appropriate height and not get blown off the ball seven, eight times a game. That's what I would like. 
They had that one year, Justin Hartwig. Is he yeah, one just, year? Yeah, one year. One he year. Won, he the won the Super Bowl, Bowl right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he did. Uh, after he holding penalty, after he though, took a safety. Showed. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That, that, yeah, uh, that's, but that's, he was that's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that was the only year that they've just been okay. I also, uh, I never wanted to say this, but I had this thought many times while I was watching like Kendrick Green struggle through the center position. I was like, what's it have to feel like knowing that you're the worst guy to do the job that you have since like World War II? Like, like that's that's like that's such a like they they missed on that draft evaluation so badly, and I'm glad he had well he had one game of success in in Houston. They looked like he was having some success before his injury, but man, that guy was just not a center. And uh, and Mason Cole, I don't know. I thought he would be he was fine in 2022. I thought he would be fine if they had to play him again. But um, I I think got to think this moves center way up the board. Alan, I'm curious, and Zach, I'm curious for your thought on this. It feels like this is a franchise that has significant developmental problems with interior offensive linemen. Um, the Kendrick Green situation, probably playing them at the wrong position. Uh, the Kevin Dotson situation, Sean McVay says thank you, probably sends a fruit basket for putting him up on a platter to go and be a good player in Los Angeles. Uh, James Daniels getting worse when he comes to Pittsburgh. Mason Cole doing what he just did and got getting released. Uh, I don't, I don't know how he would grade out Isaac Sumalo's season last year, but I don't know. I, I worse I than in Philly. I, yeah. Worse, worse than in Philly as a bare minimum. He didn't have Jason Kelsey next to him, but worse than in Philly. I think probably even on, on an individual basis. Do you trust the Steelers to not mess up any center or guard that they would take in this class? Hmm. It's an interesting question. I feel like the, the big thing has been like this disconnect between the scouting and the coaching where like, like, I don't think Kendrick Green was a coaching fail. I think it was a scouting fail, right? Like, they didn't need a guard. They needed a center. They needed him to be a center when they drafted him. He was useless to them as a guard. They scouted him and said, we can turn this guy into a guard. And then the coaching staff was like, no, sorry, actually, we cannot. Uh, or turn this guy into center. Like, we, we, we can't do it. We tried. It's just not working. Kevin Dotson... I think Kevin Dotson is just inconsistent. There was plenty of time when he looked good in Pittsburgh. It was just yeah, like he'd have eight good games in a row and then he'd get his quarterback concussed in the ninth. Like, I don't know that I call that a coaching fail. I think Kendrick Green was a scouting fail. I do think the way that Pat Meyer teaches offensive line is a little bit unique and probably not for every player. And obviously they didn't have him when they got a bunch of the guys that were in the room when he was hired, you know, so I think there's probably some like self sorting there where like guys are going to respond differently to different techniques. And I don't necessarily think that like he was the right guy for Kevin Dotson. He wants these guys to be very aggressive, especially in pass sets and like come flying off the ball and, and be active with their hands. And if you're someone that is, maybe not always a hundred percent on the assignment or not like entirely sure of your own footing all the time. Like aggressive just gets you beat very quickly sometimes. And so I think there's like this disconnect, right? Where like they didn't always have the right kind of players for how they wanted to coach now. Like, will they fix that? I guess is a, is an open and and, uh, curious question going forward. Although I think like, Hey, if they draft Jackson powers, Johnson, he seems to fit what they're looking for pretty well. Um, and so I don't know, I think they have, 
I think they've had some difficulties there, but I don't think it's like necessarily something that's definitely not going to go get better as they move forward. Yeah, it's interesting, Alex, that you brought up just the you know interior of the offensive line because with taking Broderick last year and then very possibly could take a tackle early this year and also a center. So like three high picks within two years. I brought up the question, you know, when we found out that Pat Meyer was going to be coming back, do we trust him with the development? of these high picks to bring them along. Um, and again, that wasn't just a question for the interior, but also Broderick Jones and potentially an early tackle this year. So, you know, uh, do you have any thought on that? Like, is your concern really just with the interior or does that extend out to the tackles as well? It certainly extends out. Um, and I, I mean, I think anyone who watched basically all five positions at this line. I mean, I think with Isaac, you probably feel fine about like, okay, like that's not the biggest of our problems, but I think you could look at minimum four positions on the offensive line and have at least some question about it. If you count what position Broderick Jones should be at as one of those questions. Um, so, you know, going into the year, I mean, right now do you, you sit here, there's five offensive line spots. You, you probably know for sure that you have one guard and one tackle in Sumalo and, and Jones who can play some side or the other. Uh, and everything else is a problem or a potential problem, I would think. I mean, they're not really going to start Dan Moore for another season, right? Like, right? They don't draft one in the first round. I don't see any other way. And even if they don't draft one in the first round, like if it's Marius Mims with eight college starts, like he's probably still not starting. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, look at how they treated the Broderick situation this yeah, year. Broderick I mean, yeah, Broderick had like, very little college experience and still had twice as much as Mims did. Like, I, Mm-hmm. And that was training up to get a tackle. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, that that draft capital investment should have been playing in their decision yeah. to get Broderick on the field early. But, like, sticking to 20 and taking the tackle, you know, are they going yeah, to be I don't, impressed to I get don't, I mean, the field right away? Latham maybe would start, maybe would start right away. Fuaga would probably start right away. Oh, if he Fuaga should, them, yeah. If he happens to fall to them. But, like, other than Latham, maybe? I mean, he's a long, he's a, he's a more experienced guy. He's still, as Alex said, certainly not like a complete player um but mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean i i think th- like the free agency class tackle smitty and i've talked about it it's pretty mediocre i don't see them going out and spending money to get like i don't know the like the corpse of some 34 year old guy to come play left tackle like i think this is a team that's trying to build through the draft like it always does i expect if there's going to be a new tackle it's going to be a first round pick or second round pick because like it's a pretty deep tackle class. So like a guy like Patrick Paul could be an option in the second round. Houston, um, right? Good player. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, yeah. maybe the like the yeah. most gigantic human being I can remember. DeWan Jones was bigger, but Patrick Paul's hands are like the size of my head. Um, he was great at the combine. I'm sorry, at the Senior Bowl. Uh, but yeah, like if they take a tackle, even if they take a tackle early, I still think Dan Moore is probably going to start. That's why I'm so surprised that they're just cutting Mason Cole today. Because I would mm-hmm. think that, like, even if they drafted a center in the second round, you would think, well, that guy maybe, you know, wouldn't necessarily like Cedric Van Pran. Would he be a day one starter? I don't know, like he could be, but I would think that they would probably prefer him to not be. Um, but I guess I think this is saying that they can get a they can get a vet for less than what they were going to owe Mason Cole that they feel like they could start if they have to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I suggested that I'm just surprised that they yeah. took that suggestion. <laughs> yeah. 
I hundred percent get it. Also, with this whole center talk and the Steelers not having adequate play there, this is erasure of Fernando Velasco, who had to fill in when Marquis Pouncey <laughs> tears ACL. Let's be real. That is complete erasure. Thank you. For <laughs> I had I, I, I had for- almost I had almost forgotten about Fernando Velasco, so I appreciate you bringing him back. Uh, back into my conscience. Yeah, I, everybody that is listening to Afternoon Drive right now, there is no way they thought when they tuned into this episode they were going to hear that name. So, you're welcome. Um, Alan, anything else Steelers related before we talk about you know Alex and the work that he's doing and what he's up to? No, I think that's that's kind of the the news of the day. Okay, Alex, uh, we take the last portion of each show with a guest riding shotgun with us to kind of talk about, you know, what they're up to, uh, the stuff that they're they're working on, all that good stuff, their background. So how did you get into the work that you're doing right now? And uh, what's the journey been like for you? Yeah, so I'm from Pittsburgh or I'm from Mount Lebanon. So actually, uh, as some go. of your listeners will know, not from Pittsburgh, from the Burbs um, out in the South Hills. Uh, wound up going to college at the University of Maryland and graduated from there in 2016. And then I, without reading the whole phone book, uh, kind of fell into a college football media track. Uh, nowadays, I'm the co-host, uh, one of two, one of three co-hosts of Split Zone Duo, which is a national college football podcast. And I do uh, quite a lot of writing because I kind of have the I feel like I'm still a blogger at heart. So I do I do quite a lot of writing about college football, NFL, other sports, uh, even some non-sports for a bunch of places, whoever's paying me on on any given day, really, uh, and get to see people like Alan when he's out in Los Angeles to watch the Steelers play the Rams and uh, try to get back home to Pittsburgh a couple times a year. My folks are still there, and most of my family is still there. Hopefully I will, too, uh, one day. So that's what I'm doing now, uh, just kind of going from one thing to the next. When you started the podcast, did you have any idea that you would end up with the kind of audience isn't even the right word for it. Maybe like community, I guess, the that you have now. And what do you feel like was the thing that led to that success? I'm always like really blown away by it, uh, even even now. Like it, to me, it doesn't get old and also don't get used to it. Um, you know, especially when you might like run into someone in real life off the internet who listens to the show or when we have live shows and people come out. Uh, I think that I am just pretty, pretty lucky to kind of be following along in a community that a lot of colleagues who have looked out for me have built over the years. People like Spencer Hall, Stephen Godfrey, Ryan Nanny, Jason Kirk, Holly Anderson, and more. Um, you know, there's this corner of the internet where I, I spend a lot of my time, um, with people who, who a lot of us used to work together uh, in a different capacity when we were all at SB Nation. And uh, I don't know why it happened. I, I don't I don't know that I deserve it either, but it's it's a real honor to have, like that people listen to us and care about what we what we have to say about college football. And I just try to have fun and not, you know, not take it for granted because you don't have, as you guys know, like it's not a birthright to be in anybody's ears for – hours a week or, or to get their money to pay for a subscription product like we do too. So uh, I, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm getting away with something every day that we get to do this. Uh, you went to Maryland, Alex. How are you not on the Steelers staff? I thought that was a Tomlin thing to bring in everybody. Yeah, for the one yeah. It's a great point. Um, I don't know that enough people realized when Matt <laughs> Canada got the Steelers offensive coordinator job mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm like pretty sure that, 70% of the reason that happened 
maybe 80% of the reason that happened, but no less than 60% of the reason that happened is that Matt Canada had been the interim coach at Maryland in 2018, the year that DJ Durkin got fired for his oversight of the program, the year that a player, Jordan McNair, died during offseason workouts. Uh, and that program was in tatters, and Matt Canada came in and did a perfectly respectable job, was supportive to the players, had a nice year as interim coach. Dino Tomlin was at Maryland that year. Mike Sun, mm-hmm. who most recently was at Boston College playing wide receiver. And I think still that's is a Boston why, College, actually. Still is a Boston College. And I think that's why Matt Canada became the Steelers offensive coordinator. I, I really do. Like I think I don't know Mike. Uh you guys, you know, Alan, you know Mike much, 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 much better than me. I think if if you sat him down with some truth potion, he would admit that that's when Matt Canada kind of became a guy on his radar who he might be interested in working with. And, you know, I think that certainly over – maybe part of it was the year at Pitt. Don't get me wrong. He was a very good offensive coordinator at Pitt. The year at Pitt, facility. Uh, certainly, um, like, in terms of Art Rooney, probably uh, got some attention. Mm-hmm. And I know Art was, like, a big – like, that was some – like, Art was a big part of that hire. And I know that Art uh, pays pretty close attention to Pitt. And so I'm sure that, like, the year at, at Pitt, probably more so for Art than Mike, because Mike's busy during the season, not paying that close of attention to Pitt every week the way, you know, someone uh, who can sit down on Saturday and watch college football is. Right. Um, but I definitely think – look, I kind of think Matt got a raw deal at Maryland. He probably should have got the head coaching job after, like, the yeah. performance that they get. Like, he – that team should have gone winless. Like, by oh, if ever a team has, like, yeah. first of all, like, let's be honest, Maryland, not overwhelmingly talented compared to the rest of the Big Ten ever anyway. And then to go through what they went through, and they were, they were like, one play away from beating Ohio State on the road and getting bowl eligible. Yeah. Like, that, at, that was a home, really – Yeah, they yeah they had a two-point conversion to beat Ohio State and had it, had the look. Quarterback missed the throw. I mean, but they, they had them, and uh, – I agree with you that I think Canada did a really nice job that year. They wound up hiring Mike Loxley, who I think has done an okay job in Maryland. It's hard to do much better than okay. Um, he's done he recruits fine. pretty like, well. Like, you know, they'll, they'll stick with the status quo there probably for a while. But, yeah, like in a vacuum, Matt Canada totally was worthy of, of getting that Big Ten coaching job after the job that he did that year as an interim. No question. I think it's what sort of sold him on – sold me on him as the Steelers coach. Like, I – I, guess I thought it made sense. You know, a guy had success at Pitt. Uh, things didn't work out personality-wise with Coach O at LSU. Okay, fine. Coach O's obviously like He's a one-of-one one dude. Yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, and then the job at Maryland was awesome. I, I don't know. It seemed to make sense. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out. And why it didn't work out is still fascinating to me. I don't really have a full grasp or understanding of it, but uh, the Steelers have moved on. And I think – I think it's pretty clear to say that like like Patrick Peterson was pretty rough on Matt Canada on that podcast uh earlier this week and like yeah. you yeah. can't say he's wrong like it was it was tough like that it was things did not go well for the Steelers offense under Matt Canada's leadership and I think like like we talked or I talked like I, I didn't think they should bring him back for 2023 because I didn't think that he had the quarterback development chops that they needed to emphasize to get the most out of Kenny Pickett. Like, I think you could make a real argument that the decision to bring Matt Canada back is going to end up costing them two seasons, right? Because it's going to cost them last season with him. And then it's going to cost them 2024 because they're going to play Kenny again because they still don't know what he looks like with a competent offensive coordinator. 
Like it just turns out to be a, even though I, I thought it made sense at the time. I, I thought he did a great job at Maryland, a great job at Pitt. It's turned out to be a colossally bad hire. It, the thing about the NFL is that it's hard and like, it's a bummer that Matt Canada who, who had, I mean, he was at what five or six different schools in his last six or seven years in college. Like he's not a guy who, who historically stays a place for very long, but like he did go into Clemson and beat Deshaun Watson on the road with Nathan Peterman at quarterback. Like that did happen. Like I remember watching that happen. Uh, Kenny Pickett did win an ACC championship at the university of Pittsburgh where they don't win a lot of conference championships these days. Uh, if you'd have told me like in 2021 that Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett would form the battery of the Steelers offense for the next couple of years, I think I would have kind of smiled and been like, huh, that could be fun. Like that, that might work. Like we don't know, but like, okay. Like that might, you have my attention. Like I'm intrigued by this. Uh, and instead what happened happened because the NFL is just, is just really, really hard. Great point. Great point. Anything else, Alan? No, man, I think that's it. Uh, Alex, let everybody know where they can find your, uh, your podcast, which is awesome. I'm a fan of it. Uh, I try, I, I'm a little busy during the season, but I, it's like, if oh, I've man, got a, a drive to somewhere, that's, that's on, that's on, that's on the, uh, car play. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Our, our show is called split zone duo, three words, split zone duo, and you can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you're ever looking for a college show, obviously, if you're looking for a Steelers show, if you're listening to this right now, you're already very well served by what you've got. There we Thanks, go. Thanks, man. Uh, Appreciate that. And uh, you can uh, get all Alex's uh, other writing and his takes and all that on Twitter uh, at Alex Kirshner, right? You're, you're, you're one of those wonderful, uh, fortunate people that like you, you won the Twitter lottery of getting uh, – his actual name. name. You have an underscore. I had to underscore, right? I had to underscore okay. it. Yeah, uh, I had to underscore it, but close enough. Alex underscore Kirshner, no C, uh, just how it sounds. And uh, yeah, love to argue with you about whatever it might be. <laughs> there we go. Thanks, Alex, uh, for your time. Jumping in, riding shotgun with us. Thanks to you both. Yep. All righty. There we go. Thanks, Alex Kirshner, for joining the show. Alan, tell the people they can find you. At a Saunders underscore PGH, PGH Steelers now, SteelersNow.com. We'll have the latest on Mason Cole being released, obviously. Uh, salary cap right. got set. Steelers are in good shape. There's like so much news. I'm like, I'm like trying to write over here while we're doing this thing right now. So I got to get going. But uh, we'll get all that up for you. You can check it all out at SteelersNow.com. Next time we talk, I will be in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. There we go. Yeah, totally thrown off when you drop the Mason Cole thing on me. Not at all unexpected as the breaking news. Uh, like, subscribe, hit that notification bell here. Hit us with a five-star review if you're listening somewhere else, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Hit us with questions, comments, whatever, uh, in the comments of the show, and we will get to them when we come back over the weekend. Zachary Smith, PGH, Alan Saunders, thanks for jumping in. Take another ride with us on the Steelers Afternoon Drive. Mm-hmm.